Bienvenidos. This is the Enchantment Chronicles. I am Johnny, the man of enchantment. I'm Drew. And we are here to tell you about a story from our New Mexico history. Hey, Johnny, have you ever heard of a trolley problem? No, I don't know what that means. Okay, so it's it's like a ethicist dilemma. It's one of these you have these horror horrible decisions and in it there's a trolley so it's on these little tracks and you're right by the switch and you see something like there's a there's an adorable little dog beloved dog on one set of tracks and then there's a grandma crossing the street on the other set of tracks so the question is where do you send the trolley do you send it to the grandma or send it to the dog and you know i mean there's different versions of it you know um but the basic dilemma is you can't save everyone so who do you save how old's well, the dog <laughs> i said adorable <laughs> puppy and grandma i was trying to load the question <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't um, know probably grandma <laughs> <laughs> No matter what, grandma could probably live longer than the puppy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, this is the story of a woman who found herself very much in the midst of a trolley, um, of a trolley uh, problem. Only in her case, it was her own life that she had to decide whether she had to save. Um, and this is the story of the Folsom Flood of 1908. This here's the tale of Sally Rook from Folsom, New Mexico. She was a telephone operator by trade, but more importantly, a hero. River run high, the river run brown, barreling down to a Folsom town. From the darkest sky through the valley wide, you better head up to higher ground. Dusk fell on the town, summer 1908. August 27, precise, in the town of 998. All the springs green had turned to gray when the ranchers went to cutting hay, and there come a deluge just up the way along the dry Cimarron River. River run high, river run browns, barreling down to a Folsom town. From the darkest sky to the valley wide, you better head up to higher ground. So Sally Rook was an older lady who manned the telephone station. No patching plugs and punching lines was her occupation. And through the dark there rang a ring, Miss Dory yonder, where the Cimarron V, and she said, Sally, well, there's a flood coming like I've never seen. She went river run high, the river run browns, barreling down to a Folsom town. From the darkest sky to the valley wide, you better head up to high ground. August 27, 1908. Yeah, we don't actually have any reports from August 27th because, among other things, the newspaper offices were flooded out and the printing press is washed out. So, took a few days for them to clean them up and get them ready. So to, to give you a little context, uh, in 1908, we had railroads kind of crisscrossing New Mexico, small, narrow gauge ones, and, 
And with these railroads, you have telegraph lines and telephone lines everywhere. But also in 1908, women were very limited in terms of their, their job options. They could be a nurse. They could be a teacher. They could be a waitress at a Harvey house. Heaven forbid they'd be a waitress somewhere else. But one of their options was to be a telephone operator. That that became a, a, a job that was open to women. But only after Alexander Graham Bell tried to hire a bunch of teenage boys and they started messing around instead of plugging in and connecting the phone. So a woman named Sally Rook moved to Folsom in 1905 after visiting a friend, and she got a job as a telephone operator. Sounds pretty nice as far as we go, right? But unfortunately, Folsom was along the dry Cimarron, which was a, a riverbed in the Cimarron that usually was just a dry arroyo. And unfortunately, it, it, during flooding, it would turn would turn wet. So you had a town of about 800 situated right there along the along the banks of the Cimarron. And uh, they were a cattle ranching town. Um, we're talking 800 in 1908? Yes. Wow. That was pretty big back then. Yeah. Uh, according to one local rancher's website, a modern local rancher, they said it was the uh, biggest cattle head uh, north of Abilene, Texas at the time. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, it was an up and coming town kind of place people could start over. And and Folsom is up near uh, Capulin Volcano. Right. It's uh, about five miles from Des Moines, which some of us have driven along on our way through Oklahoma and Kansas. If you take a shortcut back to the Midwest, probably, what, uh, 20 miles or so away from Raton. All right. Well, so we have Sally, and she moved to and she moved to Folsom in mm-hmm. 1905. 1905. Yeah, she takes a job there, and she's working the switchboard. and And according to a local paper, there'd been a very pleasant rain there that night, uh, August 27th in the evening. But later, there was a, a storm west of town, up in the mountains, and that storm was horrific. Locals claimed that their, if they had cast iron bathtubs sitting outside, as some people still did back in 1908, some of those cast iron bathtubs overflowed just from the rainfall. And unfortunately, most of these houses along there had been built without foundations. They, you know, our New Mexico soil is pretty rocky. It's hard to dig in. Um, and so they just kind of built huts above the ground. So can I read a, an excerpt from a newspaper three days after the event? Uh, quote, vivid and continuous lightning soon developed. Down came the torrents of water amid the continuous flashing and crashing of deafening peals of thunder that were echoing back and forth from peak to peak. Wow. Yeah, you can imagine that. That's uh, the, the, the first time I... Moved out to New Mexico. I accidentally camped in a stream bed once. <laughs> I had to drag my tent out of the water, and that was only a couple of inches. But uh, I had to learn. Well, Sally got a call from Mrs. Ben F. Owens. She was still at the central office at the switchboard after dark. You know, when when many of the people were in bed, and Mrs. Owen lived 
eight miles up the, up the riverbed there. And she said, there's a wall of water coming. The accounts in the newspapers vary. And it might be just based on how wide the canyon was at that various those various points between 12 feet high or only five feet high. But we know entire buildings were overturned with that wall of water. And so Sally figures out that she's the only one that can call these people. She's she's the one warning. So she starts connecting these plugs, connecting these wires one at a time. And, and this is where that trolley problem comes in. I, I I picture her calling these families over and over again. And I wonder if each time d- does she think, okay, have I called enough? You know, or does she just keep going? Has she already made her decision? So was she calling everybody in the path of the, I'm assuming some folks weren't in the path of this river or the stream bed. Yeah. I mean, we know some people were up ahead. We, um, we actually know that, uh, uh, someone we'll talk about later, George McJunkin, he lived outside of town and he was woken up by it, but, there was no way he could get on a horse and outrun the the floodwaters to warn anybody. He knew, you know, he couldn't, but in a town of 800, she kind of knows the layout. She's calling everybody she can. And, you know, she has to wait for the phone to get picked up. She has to explain what's going on, but who knows how many people she called, how many people answered, who knows how many people ran out the door and banged on other doors and woke up their neighbors and said, we got to go. The water's coming. All we know is that she kept calling. She kept calling, even as those waters were coming. And eventually, they washed away her central office. We we even know that the last person that, that heard her calling survived. And reported that she heard a crash and the line went dead. So, and and then again, just relying on a web, on a blog of a local rancher, a lot of the locals say, well, first of all, we should say, Sally was not found for quite a while afterwards. And she was found herself eight miles downstream the next, you know, the next spring, I think it was. But some people say that when they found her, she still had her headset on. She was still trying to make one more connection, which would, of course, jibe with what we heard about from from the last phone call she made, that there was that last horrific crash, and uh, and then the line had gone dead. It was a fellow. It, it was the Alcut family that they were calling. They they reported hearing a terrible clash of thunder before that line went dead. So maybe it was thunder. Maybe it was the Maybe it was the central office itself washing away, but she never gave up. She kept calling. She gave up her life in in the service of that town. And in the end, the day after, I think they reported 10, 10 dead at first and later added seven to the toll out of more than 800. And you're right that not all of them would have been along the, the banks of the river there, but it's probably safe to say that she saved 10 times as many as were killed just by getting that word out. And in fact, that, that, that story reached as far as the East Coast. It was reported in Colorado newspapers. It was reported in the New York Times. And eventually, 
telephone operators across the country raised money by contributing dimes. 4,334 dimes were contributed to set up a memorial to Sally Rook. And she later got recognized by our state. And there's a historical marker out there near Folsom, which acknowledges her sacrifice and how much she did to save the people of Folsom. Sadly, the, the town itself didn't recover. But you know. So do you know if this is the first docu- kind of documented 911, uh, equivalent of a 911 op- operator? Uh, I think it, I think it may be there's, there's, it would be 60 years before the first 911 call was made. But I think Sally in that moment, in that one moment, identified what she needed to do and and was able to get it done. I'm sure there was other times that people made phone calls for doctors and, but in this case, it was a very dramatic story that, that reached across the country such that 4,334 telephone operators across the country would each contribute a dime of their wages, uh, which was not an insubstantial amount back then, you know, to, to set up a memorial for. Her. So, yeah, this is, this is a, a kind of a point where some of, some of the world saw the potential for, for, um, for our communication systems to warn us. So. And just I, I am looking up the value of the those donations, and it's about thirty four hundred dollars in today's dollars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and this the the flood um, did this wipe out Folsom I, completely? It, it I mean, there's something like eighty people living there today. Uh, so, I I mean, and part of it probably is we learn. We learn from our mistakes, right? They, the people that did stick around, stick around in the county, wouldn't have rebuilt in the in the riverbed, and the people in the town that rebuilt wouldn't have rebuilt right where the flooded passed through. But uh, most of the town essentially washed away and never came back. So that was that was the end of the of Folsom as anything more than a census designated place as we call our very tiny <laughs> towns here in New Mexico. But it wasn't the end of Folsom because we will be speaking or chatting about something else that came from this flood. And uh, a guy later on, a guy by the name of George McJunkin, who ended up discovering a bunch of fossils because of the flood. Absolutely, yeah. So that flood probably prompted the greatest archaeological discovery in the 20th century, certainly in the Americas, if not in the world. So stay tuned for that episode, and thank you for listening. Thank you. took a breath, sat up real tall and straight, beneath the glow of a flickering light, and she knew this was her fate. Like Paul Revere in the dead of night, started calling up a storm, everyone on Folsom Town, she dialed them up to warm. And she said, hitch those wagons, save your lives, that river's coming, don't waste no time, get
get out now while he's still alive. I said, get on up to that mountainside. Stroke of midnight on the outskirts of town. Came that wall five feet high, water murky brown. Sally still on the line when she got washed away. But in a town of 998, only 17 met the grave. This here's the tale of Sally Rook from Folsom, New Mexico. She was a telephone operator by trade. More importantly, a hero. 